How many times did you go to Alice Springs on the train? Uh, up and back and then up and then flew home the second time. Uh, it was pretty boring. We left Adelaide in broad gauge and come to Tarawi and uh, break a gauge and the staging camp there and we I came home to Peterborough anyway that night and went back early next morning and caught the train to go to uh, Alice Springs. My parents come to see us at Peterborough when we stopped and uh, then we went on and uh, stopped at Quorn and I think we had dinner there and from then on we just slowly made our way to Alice Springs. Slowly being the word, was it? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was Coward Springs was one. There's a spring there, a warm spring. Some of the blokes had a swim, I think. And then in this film it shows Oud and the Dada stopped there. Yeah. And all the blokes went to the pub. But there was no grog at the pub. So. <laughs> it's a wonder they allowed them to go over there. Well, it shows them racing over there. And I think this was in 1943 it was made. Well, that's when I went up that first time. August 1943, yeah. So with this, you mentioned the staging camp at Tarawi. Did you stay overnight there? Yeah. But how did you get home? Oh, come home on a freight, I think. So you're virtually free to do what you like that night? Well, I suppose I would have got permission to do it. Anyway, I got back in time to catch the troop train out. Now, how many troops were on a train, roughly? Oh, it'd be three or four hundred, I reckon. You had to sleep where you could find a spot to sleep. I used to sleep in the, up in the luggage rack. If you slept on the floor, well, everyone stepped all over you and you wouldn't get much sleep. No, it was pretty boring. Were they a mixed crew on the train, like the Air Force and Army? Or? Uh, yeah, all types, Army, Navy, whatever. Probably some Allied Works Council blokes. They were building the road from uh, Alice to Darwin. They weren't military, they were government controlled. They were getting more pay than what we were. Uh, what about morale on the way up? What, what was, was it? Oh, it was all right. They're mostly young fellows. They thought it was a good time, I think. It's marvellous. You don't think of the bad times. You remember the good times. But you don't remember the boring times? No, not really. It's a long time ago, you know. And what sort of things did you used to get up to, like young blokes back then? But on the uh, troop trains... Oh, mostly paid cards most of the time. There was always someone at a swy going or poker game. But that's about all the entertainment it was. Otherwise, you just sat around and talked or, you know, made your own fun. And by this time, had you made friends? Oh, yeah. You were all thrown in together. You weren't introduced or anything. You just made your... Picked out someone you liked and that's who you... Uh, stayed with mostly. So you weren't with anyone you knew no. from Civvy days? No. Did you get to see any of those? Only one fellow there was Hecht Woods. He come from here. And he arrived in Darwin oh, 12 months after I, I got there. And a bloke called Clary Cherry, Ginky Cherry. He used to live here. And did you feel a bit privileged that you were going through your own home territory? Not really. <laughs> no, not really. It was all wasn't new to me, but it was to a lot of other people. But once I got past, say, Quorn, well, it was all new. You went up there in August? August 43. So the weather wouldn't have been too bad? Oh, no, it was all right then. It was, uh, it was warm enough by the time you got to Alice Springs. And we stayed there for oh, a couple of nights, I suppose, and then... You got on semi-trailers, they put you into the, uh, what do you call it, the the back part, uh, the tray of a semi-trailer. And you're just about 30 blokes to the back of the tray and you all sat up one side and you all your gear in the middle until you got to a staging camp, which was every night you were stopped and uh, were fed and... You either slept on palliasses or sometimes there was concrete mesh, you know, that six-inch steel mesh, 
they put in airfields and roads in it. They'd have a long bay of that and you just through a pally house on that and when you woke up in the morning you had all crisscrosses all over you. They weren't extra, it wasn't uh, hotel accommodation at all. So did you sleep in your clothes? Yeah. What about for blankets? And oh, I just army blankets, the pillow. You carried them or they were supplied? Uh, I don't know whether, I, wouldn't, I don't remember now whether the, they issued you with a couple of blankets and you took them with you, I don't know. And then there were showers available for you that night. Time you had tea, you were bugging anyway, so you went to sleep and you're up about four o'clock in the morning for breakfast and then hop on the bus again and away you go. So what did you carry? All dirt roads. Oh, the the bitumen hadn't been put down? Not then. What did you carry with you? Sort of a dilly bag, you know, a sausage bag. That all all your clothes in it. What sort of clothes did you have? Oh, underclothes and shirts and, you know, a change of everything, socks. And then you had your webbing gear that you put around yourself, you know, with your ammo pouches and your backpack. I don't think we had rifles at that stage. You weren't given rifles until you you got on a, a base. Then you, that's when you issued with your rifles. What about personal gear? Did you, did you have anything? Oh, your own toilet gear. You had to carry that with you. Yeah. So you you made a diary sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I, knew, I should have kept one all the time, but I bet there's not too many's got any record for you know, where they went. Mm. But you you got it in your pay book anyway. Yeah. And these camps from Alice Springs up were they set up permanently? Yeah, it was. Uh, I think the first one was T3, Banker Banker, Elliot. I think Elliot's around Catherine somewhere, isn't it? And then you, you know, you get up to Adelaide River. Then you get on that Leap and Lena, the old steam train. They put you in, they were cattle trucks cut down to about four foot up. And then the top section was taken out, they leave the roof on. And you had to sleep in these, and the the engine had prime, and you'd have black all over you, and oh, leaping leaner. I used to get that at Birdham, that's right. Larimar. There's two places there, it's Birdham and Larimar, I think they're joined together or something. Mm. Well, that's where you get on the train, and uh, we got off at Adelaide River. Because I had to go to uh, northwestern area, which is only about, I don't know, might be halfway between Darwin and Adelaide River, near the Bachelor Turnoff. That was called Bullshit Castle. I started there as a general hand, and that meant uh, they'd give you anything to do, cleaning their toilets, and I blew up the Air Vice Marshal's shitty house one day. I've through the, which I thought was kerosene, but it turned out it was petrol. Through the matching and boom, single toilet and just put her on her side. Air Vice Marshal Cole, he was the bloke. So were they long drops? Yeah, they were all, the airmen's toilets were all the same. They were in rows of uh, 44-gallon drums cut down. and the, I think they did have a seat on them, like a toilet seat. You got to chat to your next door neighbour. So you soon lost your vanity, did you? Oh yeah, yeah. No vanity there. Yeah. Did you sleep in tents? Yeah. When you got to the base. Instead of them pitching them on the ground, we used to use pandanus tree. Remember, they were sort of a mangrove. You build an area around like the size of a tent, and then you put the tent on top of it. And if you're lucky, you, you found some boards and had a, a board floor or you know, fixed the floor up yourself. And it used to be two to a tent. Well, as if it was a bigger tent, of course, there was more in it, but mainly we had two to a tent. So you've worked on your own. You said if you want to find some boards, you could. Well, you could so it wasn't real strict. No, no 
you had to do what you do to fend for yourself, you know. I think we had a board floor in ours, whether it was put there before I went into it, I don't know. And as you say, we'd, I was in cipher and signals. I used to work night shift and afternoon shift. And then you'd come off your watch and you'd go to bed and get up for a meal and then go to work. <laughs> you had a day off and that's when you could either go to Darwin or go to... A, there was an army uh, station where they used to send them to convalesce and had a swimming pool. I just can't think of the name of it. It was good. And what were the meals like? Oh, yeah, they were right. Yeah. We used to have soup and... The main course and sweets. Then Christmas time, they'd put on a bit of a turn and the officers would wait on the airmen. And, uh, you know, you get a bit cheeky then, but that was the only your day you would be cheeky. <laughs> so dis- discipline was fairly strong, was it? Discipline? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember I got four hours pulling grass for a dirty rifle. I forgot to clean it before I went on parade. It was a first issue. And uh, when they come out the armoury, they got bloody grease down the barrel. You're supposed to pull them through and shine them up. Of course, you go on inspection, put your thumbnail over the, you know, open the breech and put your thumbnail in. He looks down the bloody barrel because he couldn't see anything. Sunlight would sort of shine off your thumbnail and they could see down the barrel. All right, so he'd look down the other end and he'd just put... You couldn't see anything. It's full of bloody grease. It's full of what? I didn't pull it through. (laughs) So you had to pull grass? Four hours, yeah, pulling grass. What happened to the grass? I just put it in a heap. (laughs) The old story, shift that heap of dirt over there. Then shift it back again. What if you did something real bad? What? on the train duties, I suppose. Guard duty. Oh, that was when your turn came around, it'd either be from 6 o'clock to 10 or 10 till 2 or 2 till 6. And you slept in the guard tent. When you're off, you went back to the guard tent and when you'd done your shift and camped there until daybreak or whenever on parade and then that was it, you had done your shift. What were you guarding? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Just uh, like the old saying, everything's going all right and then they've got to stuff it up. Yeah. yeah. I was talking to Don Harding. He came from here, didn't he? Oh, he worked for Frank Reed, at the Bella? Yeah. And he was a mechanic. Yeah, he was up here for a funeral the other day. Whose funeral was that? Oh, John Baker's. He's a friend of his. Yeah, he was a mechanic up on the, yeah, on the yeah, airfields, he was telling me. Yeah. He was an RSL member, wasn't he? So they used to have electricity at these camps? No, I don't think. I think we had lamps. Hurricane lamps, I reckon. So what were you actually doing up there? Where was, where was your first posting? Northwestern Area Headquarters. That was a headquarters for the RAF. Near In back- the Darwin area, yeah. Bachelor, near the Bachelor Turnoff. And Kamali Creek was about three or four mile up the road. That was the Bowfighter Squadron. And down the other side of it was Fenton, the Liberators. And they used to bomb those too. So, so they, what were these? They were airfields. Yeah. And who who was um, stationed there? Australian and Americans. Uh, Liberators were. They were American. And. The boat fighters were Australians. And further down there was Livingstone. They were named after pilots. It was Strauss and Livingstone. They were airstrips along the road, the Stewart Highway. And there was Pearl Strip. That was another one. That was the strip where they um, repaired aircraft. So yeah. those aircraft, what, were they, what was their main role? Well, Bachelor, that was Mitchell Bombers. They were Dutch. And they used to bomb over Timor and uh, any of the islands in the Dutch East Indies there. Liberators, they go further up, you know, in the islands. So these were to bomb Japanese? Yeah. 
the, the Spitfires used to go over, they were limited flight distance. See, they bombed mainly Timor and Surabaya and they were around that area. Of course, the Liberators went further up. They were the four-engine bombers. The Bowfighter was a twin-engine job and they used to call them Whispering Death. And then they had another, I don't know what they used to call them, they were Beaufort Bombers. Uh, they used to, I don't know where they operated from, they might have operated from Bachelor. That was a pretty big airstrip there. So that, that was already all built when you got there? Yeah. These airstrips? Yeah, all those airfields were built when I got there. And were they um, bitumized? Yeah. Were they fairly big setups, the whole? Well, Livingstone and all them, they're probably only huts there and revetments where they used to put the planes and be camouflaged all over them. What, what was that word? Camouflaged. No, the other one? Revet- revetments. So that the planes were hidden from the air, you know, they'd fly over and they were camouflaged. They used to call the blokes who'd done it camouflures. Uh, who was one that... Jolliffe. He was mixed up in it. The cartoonist? Yeah, I reckon I met him out at Truscott. That's where he got all those bloody ideas for that paper that we used to write for. Post? Eric, yeah. Yeah, Eric Jolliffe. Eric Jolliffe, yeah. Was there any women personnel up there? Yeah, there was AWARS. What were they doing? In office jobs mainly, in the big stations. I don't know whether there was any women on the station where I was. I don't remember any WAFs being up there. Well, what about um, for injuries, m- m- medical? Oh, you always had your uh, or medical orderlies and the, the dentists, they, they had the bloody machines, pedal bloody machines, you know. And they'd drill in with these bloody... they run out of leg room, they'd bloody grind away with nothing. You'd line up for your needles, you know, for tetanus and all that sort of job. You'd be all in a line and then some smart-ass medical orderly would come out with a bloody long syringe needle. Oh, no, who's next? Folks would be fighting and carrying on. <laughs> no heart at all, some of them. So were you there, you told me a while ago, you were there when there was some bombing going on. Yeah. As I say, we used to be in the middle of Fenton Strip and Kamali Strip. Well, they used to mainly bomb the strips. There was never supposed to be any lights showing. They must have known where they were going because you could hear them, you hear the bombs falling, but they never fell any within 100 yards of us. But the strips were only, Kamali was only four mile up the road. So they wouldn't have had a miss by much. Oh, so they didn't target the... Never the, target the, the headquarters, no. I made the strips to... Killer Caldwell was up there around the time I was there. He was a great Spitfire pilot. He, he would been over to... He was in the English show and then come home. And a bloke called Gordon, I see in my diary there, I was reading, he got killed up there flying a bloody Spitfire. He used to come back with bloody... Uh, coconut trees hanging on his wings and everything. And uh, this time he's over there doing a few bloody rolls or something. His motor cut out and killed him. Killed the observer. There used to be a pilot and a navigator in a bowfighter. And killed the bowfighter outright and he died that night. You'd see him coming back if they had a, a kill, they'd do a bloody roll over the headquarters or whatever. So just like in the films... Victory roll, yeah, back. So were these pilots, were they held in high esteem? Oh, yeah, I reckon. They, uh, there was a lot of pommy pilots there too in these uh, living states. I reckon they were the ones that shot the Jap down. There was an Australian and a pommy, and they shared the kill. They shot the who down? The, the Japanese reconnaissance plane that I've seen shot down. The one that burst in the flames. Yeah, he was 30,000 feet up or something when they got him. And there's he's coming down, he burst in the flames. You mentioned the Mitchell, Dutch. Yeah, they were... They were the Dutch pilots too. Yeah, it was Dutch pilots there. They were the Mitchell bombers, twin-engine bombers. They had a, 
Only about a four, I think the pilot and co-pilot and a tail ganger and a nose gunner. I could have got a ride out with them once and I chickened out and I don't know. Fuck that. So from general hand, what did you become next? Well, then I don't know what they call a cipher course in decoding and all that jazz. So what, what, was that, what did that entail? Well, putting messages into code and then breaking them out of code to plain language. Say there was a, a mission going to, uh, say, uh, Timor, say, Liberators, where you'd have to send a message to the head commander of that flight and they'd put it into code and then the operators, you know, the signalers on the telegraph, and then they used to be in groups of five letters all jumbled up. And we used to do them what they call a Type X machine. It was five drums in this machine. And it had to be set at half past nine every morning, which is Greenwich Mean Time, London. And that was a reading for those 24 hours. And you turn all the drums to the five settings. And then you'd get the message in, in plain language, and you type it out, and you come out plain language on one side, and they come out in a code on the other side, in groups of five letters, all mixed up. And they'd be pasted onto the sheet, and then they'd go into the telegraphist, and he'd send it all in those groups, whatever they were, and so it was in England, they'd put it on the machine, type all those letters, and come out the plain language one side and the code on the other. And it was never broken, I don't think, type X. So these drums, you just turned the letters? That all the letters in the alphabet on it, and they were turned up to the top in a line, the setting for the day. All over the world was that setting. You could send it to America, London or anywhere else and that'd be the setting for the day and they they could type the message. They'd come out plain language or whatever. They had the those things that you type out and it comes out in a sheet of paper, plain language, what do they call them? Uh, teleprinter or... Teleprinter, yeah. They'd be the girls in, say, Point Cook in Melbourne they type out a sheet in in Point Cook and it'd come out at northwestern area in their machines in a long paper with a message on it, teleprinter. It was nothing to do with the... Uh, Morse? Morse. All oh, right. No, it was a, what they call a teleprinter. It was all done by telephone lines? Yeah. That's what I remastered to as a cipher assistant. And once I started that course, I was on nine bob a day. And then when I finished the course, I become a acting corporal and then a fully-fledged corporal. I did get to an acting sergeant for a while. What does being a corporal have over being a... Well, it's... <laughs> what's, the, what's the ordinary? An ordinary is an LAC. He starts off as an AC1, aircraftman one. And then they go to an LAC leading aircraftsman. And then you go to um, oh, an acting corporal and then a temporary corporal or, or a fine air corporal. Does that mean they have to salute you? No, no. It's the old army game, you know, it's like a leading hand. Uh, you cop all the shit if you're a corporal. Oh, you're in but the you can pass a bit down to the, <laughs> say, the LAC, but you cop it from the sergeant or the WO or first lieutenant or whatever. It all finishes up with the corporal, really. So middle management, you get it all. <laughs> so with, when, when you were that cipher, you were in a, it was a sort of a special building, was it? Or? You, you go into the signal section. And you have to, I had to sign a thing that I would not divulge anything that went, that I was working on. 
I was sworn to secrecy. And that's what I went to trust God as a a cipher assistant, and that was in 1944. Well, the war was nearly over then, but they were still using code. And then when I went to Timor in 1945, at the end of the war, I went over there as a cipher assistant and finished up as stores officer. Used to order for the the meals to come across, you know, for, it was only, uh, we had a signal station and they used to land the planes coming back from Indonesia with the prisoners of war or whatever, Dutch refugees and all that. They'd land at Penfield Airstrip and refuel there. There was only 10 of us, I think, two guards, a couple of signalmen, and I was the only cipher bloke. And so the cipher was actually finished then. So I used to order the, the meals. So there was no officers on this, but I used to order for ten officers. And <laughs> you used to get whiskey and gin, which was at five bob a bottle. Because we'd flog that off. <laughs> Northern side of a beast, and they'd fly it out from Darwin and all that. So Darwin was the headquarters? Yeah. They used to fly planes out there and fly oysters back to the bloody officers' mess at bloody Darwin. There was beautiful oysters out there, you know. We'd sit on the rocks with a hammer and a chisel, just dip them in the seawater and straight down. So this was after the war had finished? No, this was a Truscott. After the war, we were at Penfui, at Timor, and we used to have, uh, I think it was 80 Japs come out every day. And they'd do our washing and make our bed and do all the chores around the place. Well, how did you get on with them? Oh, it was a bloody holiday. Yeah. W- were they um, resentful? or? Uh, oh, some of them weren't too good. They, they had a line-up of a morning and bow to our flag and then they, we'd set them to work and then... Uh, do whatever, you know, clean the camp up and any chores we had, we had to do them. So they held on to guard? We had guards over there, our RAF guards, they used to look after them. I've got photos of them down there. Anyway, one time someone pinched a watch off one of the Japs and the commanding officer lined us all up and we didn't like that and let this Jap go through us to see if he could pinpoint who pinched his watch anyway he never he never got it back or but <laughs> we used to take these shoes off them you know they had these bloody sandals was it just a toe in them the rest of them was all covered in it was only their big toe was taken out we used to think they were good well the rest was like a shoe the rest of us is shoe but all the only distinction was uh, where their toe was. But we used to swap an old pair of sand shoes or something for these good ones. Did they speak any English, any of them? Yeah, some of them did. The Navy blokes were the best. I went back to their camp once and had this uh, tea, you know, the tea they make, very green-looking shit. Oh, yeah, I swapped... Uh, I got a Japanese sword. I, I don't know what I, I mixed up some gun oil and and I had some perfume. And I put that in the bottle too and shook it up and swapped it. Well, the natives had the bloody sword. I swapped this bloody hair oil for the sword <laughs> and some sugar, which I pinched. And so this was after after the war. Yeah, this so, was at Timor. So after the war had finished, there was a lot of Things still had to be done, I guess, wasn't there? You just didn't all walk away. <laughs> well, I was over Timor for six months. It was just a bloody holiday. And where were these Japanese prisoners coming from? They were in at Kopang. They had headquarters at Kopang. And, and were they, they sort of free to walk around, the Japanese? Were they? Oh, they couldn't walk around. They were in compounds. That's where they signed the surrender, that area. There's two planes landed. One of them stuck its front wheel up through the wing when it landed 
this brought the generals in for the signing. Blamey was there. How I've got photos of the three generals. We burnt the bloody plane, you know, took whatever we could out of it. You know, the blokes knew what they were getting, got some good stuff, and we just put a match to it. So what what sort of plane was that? uh, I don't know whether it was a diner or what it was. It was a twin engine anyway. So whose was it? Japanese. Oh, right. One of their planes. They flew the generals in and they had a fly them out in one plane, I think. So uh, how did that work, the signing of the surrender, Heaven? Oh, they just sat down and signed a bloody document. The big one they signed at uh, the end of the war was on a, a an American warship, I think. But this one was only just, I think, Blamey witnessed it. He was the, the bloke who was there, General Blamey. So the Japs flew in of their own accord to sign the surrender? Oh, well, they were forced to come there and sign it, I suppose. But they were on their own? Yeah, they never had any any uh, Australian foursome in there. They were they flew in their own plane. Was there any, um, well, it's just human nature, any resentment against the Japs when they were prisoners? Oh, not really, I don't think. So there was no... Um, well, there was one... It was one time there was some strife there. We had a lieutenant or a squadron leader in charge of us. He was uh, in charge of the RAF in Timor, I suppose, or Copang. He got all of a Jap one time. And only a poor little bastard he was, and he put a bag of cement on his shoulder and ran him up and down the strip until he collapsed. I don't know why he'd done it, but... I think he, he had a brother who was caught and tortured. That was the only time that I heard any of that business. That's what I mean. It's human but nature. I, you, you know, wartime, you do things which you wouldn't yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Well, you wouldn't do it to a dog, would you? But if you're enjoying wartime, you might. Yeah. Well, I'd have had even anything done to me by him, so it's a different story, isn't it? Yeah. Regional historian John Mannion is chatting with veteran Sid Aleff about his World War II service in signals in the Royal Australian Air Force. So were, were you sick of the war by the time it finished? Well, I was ready to come home. I'd had enough. That's what I mean. Yeah, well, I, I was never on the South Station. What do you mean? What's that mean? Well, I was never, like, like based at Parafield or... Point Cook or somewhere like that, you know, and, or up in Sydney or Townsville. So where did you do your rookies? Shepparton, Victoria. And how long did that take? Uh, we was there from June till August. And then I went to Darwin. And I'd done 16 months the first trip. Come home and went back in, uh, must have been early 44. And I come home in May '45. Now you were telling me the other day your service number. Yeah. What was yours? One four zero five three seven. So you remember that? Oh, you never forget it. Well, you you never let forget it because you signed papers. You you had to sing it out at your roll call or your parades. So it wasn't a day gone by that you never used it. So after three years, it sort of gets planted in your memory. So they never called you Sid or Aleph or...? <laughs> no, Ackliff. They could never say Aleph. It was always Ackliff. <laughs> Ackliff. They'd yell it out at parade or something. I'd let them go for a while. and Ackliff. I said, my fucking name's Aleph, not Ackliff. So when you were living at, in Timor, yeah, what sort of accommodation did you have there? Oh, we were living in a in a building. We used to sleep on the veranda, and we had a kitchen and a mess, 
and geckos, plenty of geckos. They used to sing, make a noise all night. And we had a Jap working in the kitchen, which done all the washing up the dishes. We used to call him Jesse or some name, or some silly name. He wasn't bad, that Jap. I got a photo of him down there. And we had native boys, Malayan boys. We had three of them working there too. It's like you're the, you're the, the uh, royal family. Yeah, oh yeah, bloody holiday. So did, what's, did you get to use sheets at all when you... Oh yeah, had sheets. Oh right. Now how did we get them sheets? I had them at, at headquarters and I got them out the drawing office. They were linen, hard linen. And if you soaked them in water, they'd come out lovely Irish linen just about. And that's when we sheets... So, so you got them out the drawing office. So you slept in a proper bed? And, yeah, and, oh, well, a proper bed. It was a wire mattress and a pallias. And if you could win a bloody mattress, you were going well. But one of these lads who was working there was a lad that come across in a C-47. He hid in the nacelle of the aircraft, you know, where the wheels come up. He got in the plane while the plane was standing on the tarmac. They didn't know he was there, of course, and they took off. When he landed at Darwin, he was frozen on one side and burned on the other. And when they were inspecting the plane after the flight, they found him wedged in the nacelle, and he's still in Darwin to this day. But I rang the bloke. I knew, I knew his name, Baz Wee. But he always says it's not him. He wasn't working for us. And well, the place still alive. Oh, yeah, he's in Darwin now. When Driver was the, um, uh, what do you call him, the Northern, Northern Territory, the governor or the administrator, and he granted him a visa to, and found him working in Darwin. He was only uh, 17 or 18, I think, and he's still there. So when did, when the time to come home? Said how how did they notify you, or who decided what? Oh, they just notified you from the orderly officer that uh, the orderly room, one four zero five three seven, Corporal Olaf will fly out on such and such a time from uh, RAF headquarters or from RAF Darwin. I come out at five o'clock in the morning. So how did you get to Darwin? In, uh, well, I come back from Timor and was billeted in on the RAF drone at uh, Darwin. I was only there a couple of days, I think, and I caught the plane at five o'clock in the morning and I was in Adelaide. It took us ten hours anyway to come down. We might have, I think we might have landed at some place on the way down. So you would have had to refuel? Yeah, probably. Oh, I don't know. The C-47, it's only 2,000 miles, I suppose. And I met John in uh, Adelaide. I knew he was staying at the... Uh, oh, it was a pub in Curry Street. Used to be the one all the Peterborough blokes used to drink at. And he wasn't at the hotel when I got there and... I thought yeah, he was going to go to the Palladium Ballroom or something. So I met him there. I hadn't seen him since 1942, I think it was, when he went to Canada. So that was about it. I went to the embarkation depot and and demobbed. So where did you land in Adelaide? Uh, Parafield. And how many on this C-47? Oh, I'd be 20 or 30, I suppose. You all sat there. There was only a, a sort of steel beam running down each side of the plane, and you just sat on them. I don't remember much about it now, but I remember flying home. So how did, did they take you into the city? Yeah, took us in by, like, a tip truck. Wasn't a bus or anything, it was just a truck. And where did they drop you off? 
well, they must have dropped me off in the city somewhere. I don't remember now. So, now this is this is um, this demobbing. Is it demobbing? Is it? No, this was only when I come back from Darwin. Well, I had, or say, two weeks leave oh, right. before I had to report back to. I think it was four embarkation depot Which out ones? at uh, Dawes Road somewhere out there. Springfield is name. I don't know. Oh, so you weren't finished? Not then, no. Uh, I had me leave and then I went back and just signed some papers and that was it. Finished. Got a few chits, you know, for some clothing and that was it. Well, they coupons? Sort of. Yeah. So when you come back, you, when you met your brother, John, did you stay with him for a day or so? Or did you both come back to Peterborough? No, I think he stayed in town. I come home on my own, I think. Or he might have come back, I don't remember now. And did you travel in uniform when you were on leave? Yeah. You weren't allowed to go in the hotels here in uniform because uh, when the troop trains were coming through, if they stopped at Peterborough, a lot of them would leg it across to the hotel. And, of course, they'd serve them and they couldn't get them back on the train hardly. So you you weren't allowed to go in the hotel in a uniform and get served. Uh, they weren't going to serve me once and Detective Sharp was here at the time and he said to the public, well, he... He's good enough to go away and serve his country. He's good enough to go and have a drink. They served me then. Why wouldn't he serve you? Uh, well, I suppose because I was in uniform. Oh, you weren't underage or anything? No, I would have been 21 then. I was 19 when I joined up. So when you went back to this embarkation, was it, was it called? Yeah, embarkation depot. What happened there? Well, you went when you were going to Darwin or New Guinea or anywhere. It was an embarkation depot where you got all your tropical gear or whatever. There was a wrestler there who was a PT instructor. He had the um, Mario's pub one time. He's a wrestler. Johnny Paradise. When I'd done me rookies, I had to go to embarkation depot before I went to Darwin. And when we were pulling out, all in these trucks and we're going past and Paradise was standing somewhere on the steps or something and he was going to wrestle and the tiger or some name was a boxer and we yelled out, I hope he kills you Johnny <laughs> yeah so, so when they demob, how'd you get discharged or they just said well, that's it, you're finished you walk out the door <laughs> they say thank you yeah, no no, just just a civilian. You're back as a civilian. So when did you, when did you get discharged? I reckon it was May 1946. I joined in June 43. It seems strange. They didn't. There's no ceremony or nothing. No, nah, nah, I just signed a paper. So do you think that's a bit rough? Thousands <laughs> like it. No, but do you think looking back that it's? Well, I don't know. I think you're just glad to get out of it. Uh, see, I, I got uh, tinnier bad. And I still had it when I come out. Instead of putting it on my medical records, you didn't, you, you just said, oh, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm, you know, in later life, you can refer back to those medical records and get a pension. But once you're gone, you it's not on your medical records, well, it's hard to prove. So that's the worst thing that happened to you, was it? <laughs> I don't know, I can't remember the worst thing. Was it you who was telling me about the blokes with the big balls? Might have been a bloke that lived here, Jimmy. Something causes your testicles to really, some tropical disease. Oh, I used to get... Um, Tinea in the crutch, well, yeah. and I used to put metho on it, and then fan myself with a bit of paper, newspaper. To cool it off? Oh, yeah. Burn? 
They used to give you stuff called Microsol, which is a purpley looking stuff, and you paint that on. That used to burn a bit, but metho, oh. Didn't sting. Oh, did it ever. On a raw patch. I was going to say, but you still did it. <laughs> Not now, I don't. But I have had it since I've been out of it. But I don't get it now. You get it in shower rooms or anything like that. You know, in the army, you, you bathe them on duck boards and stuff like that. And you get this fog in between your toes. Fungal thing, isn't it? Mm. But if you use plenty of powder and dry yourself pretty right, it's all right. But if you get it around the old balls... Oh. Yeah, that's prickly heat. So prickly it? heat it is, yeah. Well, it's just mainly in the tropics. Red really. raw, is it? Yeah, go oh, on, yeah. Bloody skin all peels off and it's just like meat. When I was at, uh, I don't know whether it was Drysdale, somewhere up in the territory there, and I had a, it was a nice gum tree outside the tent, and I had a bench there with a couple of old plaques, I suppose, nailed together. They write me letters or go out there and read, and they named me the judge. <laughs> and there was a one of these camouflers, he was an, uh, an artist, and he'd done a black and white sketch of me. It was bloody good. I'll give it to me, his son, John's got it. And I reckon uh, Jolliffe was on the same unit. I reckon it must have been Truscott. Yeah. So tropical, tropics caused a fair bit of disease, or? Yeah, I suppose, yeah. The, the tinea, yeah. yeah. I don't know what this one about this bloke. They could, their balls, they'd have put them in a wheelbarrow. That was the prisoners of war. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that'd be some sort of... Uh, berry, berry? Berry, berry, something like Their stomach all swells yeah. up. A lot of the natives, you'd see them like that. Big bellies, you know. They used to chew this betel nut. And all their gums would be bloody raw, you know, red. And then they'd make this bloody distilled coconut juice, soupy kalapa. You climb bloody coconut trees and everything. It's equivalent to torpedo juice, soupy kalapa. So you never really come close to any dangerous situations? No, not really. No. Only these bombing raids, which were miles away. But I never fired any shots, anything like that. The Darwin Defenders, that's an incorporated group, isn't it? Yeah. So did they approach you to join? or? Uh, might have been when Pearl started a shows at Tarawi. And then we got this Defenders flag. Might have had some forms or something. George Lloyd Nye joined it. I don't know whether he's still... Cost twenty dollars a year. Was George up there? Was he? He was at Heard Island. Where's Heard Island? Oh, it's up near there somewhere. So was he Army, Air Force? Air Force. There was a show on TV not so long ago about that Heard Island. So when when you were um, discharged, what did you do? Do you remember the day? <laughs> well, I done nothing till I finished me leave, and then I went back to work. Went on the golf trip, Hecky Woods, myself, Cole Von Verda, and a bloke called Phil Case. Were they all Peterborough like? Yeah. What's the golf trip? Uh, that thing that goes from uh, Port Adelaide, Port Lincoln, Wyala, Port Augusta, then back to, oh, and Pirrie, then back to Port Adelaide. Yeah. What did you do on that trip? Drink. We had that much, we left a flag and a beer in the cabin when we left it. So was that a popular thing to do, was it, this golf trip? Oh, yeah. Well, he, he, was, he was the fighter. He fought a bloke at every port just about. Was he a return serviceman? Army, Air Force? Air and Navy. Cole. But he could fight the bugger. Yeah. So when you, when you went away from this... Where did you actually get discharged from? Adelaide. 
that embarkation place. Yeah. Did you get to keep any uniform or? Yeah, I don't know what happened to it, but I haven't got any of it now. And how did you used to get paid when you were away up there? It paid into the bank. I used to pay so much into into me pay book back here in Australia, which mum had. You could say, uh, I don't know what they call it now. Anyway, I used to pay two shillings a pay into me bank account back here. And did you get cash when you were up there? Yeah, yeah, your paydays. And they'd pay in and they'd all go in your pay book. So did you ever get, get any cash in your hand or...? Yeah. All oh, right. So what would you do with it? Well, they had canteens where you could buy cigarettes and and lolly water. Well, that's what I meant. They, you did have they did have canteens. Yeah. They run at a profit, or they just cover costs. Oh, bugger if I know. I suppose the army or air force run them. Headquarters, northwest area. Well, that's what the North Force was, Northwest Area or something. Yeah, Yeah, well, that was the headquarters for the RAF in Darwin. The Darwin area, which covered all the islands around. And that's where the, uh, you know, the plot room was, where they plotted the aircraft in and out. That Northwestern area. Did they have one of those things like you see? Oh, yeah, I reckon. I never seen it, but I should say it would have been that's the way it was. So you lived at 86 Victoria Street? Your mum? Uh, 96, I reckon. What have I got there? 86. 86. I think it was 90. Was that over opposite um, Joan Shell? Yeah. Oh, right. That crack lives in it now, I think. I don't know what her name is. Jack Way's girl lives in it. That's where you grew up? Yeah. yeah. Well, clothing ration coupon. Oh. Yeah. Truscott, Shepparton, 43 Shepparton. Keepang? Copang, yeah. Co-E, K-O-E, is it? Yeah. They spell it K-U-P-A-N-G now. And Penfui they spell different too. Penfui was the Airfield. Copang was a seaport. Burdum. Yeah. What did they show? Did they show gilders or anything there? No, unless what we used to get paid in anyway. When we were at Timor. Gilders. Dutch. The pilots, were they the... Yeah, were they... Uh, oh, well, we never had anything to do with them. What about... You said there was... They could fix the aircraft. So there was lots of mechanics and... Oh, yeah, on the air. Fitters and... Yeah, fitters and armourers. Yeah, but they were they were away from signals, you know. We yeah. didn't have anything to do with it. So them. you never got to meet everybody? You just... No. Well, you going to have a coffee? Yeah, you going to have one? Yeah, take the microphone off, discussion's yeah. finished. Well, thank you very much. That's all right. That's been very interesting. <laughs>